Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast 219. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years, and Tractor Zoom, delivering insights. Uh, this week, I've got uh, Rich Possum back on, and I love having Rich on here because Rich is kind enough to come on and give me his uh, kind of two cents on what's happened with the economy. So, Rich has kind of been a mainstay of the Moving Iron Podcast for a while, and and uh, kind of bouncing in and out here with each other when we when we're not too busy to to get hooked up with each other. But for the most part, most part, Rich and I have have had a had a pretty good uh, relationship here over the last couple of years and talking about what's going on in the marketplace. So, Rich, how you been, man? Good, and yourself? Not too bad, but it's been busy, um, and uh, there's just a lot of lot of irons in the fire right now. For I think about anybody anywhere buying or selling anything right now there's a, about a million different things going on it feels like yeah hey, I'll, I'll i've even added uh real estate brokering and investing well i've always been an investor on and off in real estate and so i've been running more than than i'm used to and i've been out yeah. there watch, watching what people are paying and it's it is unbelievable i'm seeing yep. uh rural homes where they uh have doubled their price asking price and it's just crazy and it's amazing some people are paying these prices but it also feels like maybe maybe the buyer is saying wait a minute here you know i really should try a lower price i mean it's just amazing the past two months people would pay the asking price or more and they wouldn't do and they wouldn't do home inspections where and we also work in farms and the farms nobody seems to pay use home inspections anyways but you know it's the farms look pretty strong too it's just but i think uh at least on that home sign that that was hotter than the farms and uh it just feels like the buyers are starting to say you know instead of chasing chasing chase it was just this fear that someone was going to beat them and it was a rightful fear i mean we just we just sold a home here last week and uh if they didn't pay five thousand more than the asking price they would they would have missed it so um but that's you know you see these surges uh times and i think it's gonna calm down (laughs) right yep and then you take a so, look at the home home cost. Uh, I mean, right. build it, building a home, uh, unbelievable. I mean, some of these places are running sixty percent more in uh, in cost. Um, I think I've called a long term co- top in lumber, and I've uh, been in conversations with people working at some lumber mills locally, and 
They claim they got all the logs and all the lumber you want. It's just not moving or hasn't been moving. But I think that's going to break loose. Yeah. Yep. Well, I've seen the pictures of stuff out there with piles of, of lumber sticking up all over the, all around railheads and those kind of things. So, you know, there's seems like there's a, a lot of that going on. But, you know, Rich, you have a you have a lot of good stuff going too. Where you have you have a podcast. So talk about your podcast. Where they can find that podcast and what kind of information you're going to get. Sure. And they listen to your podcast. Uh, so the podcast you can find it at criticalpoint.podbean.com. And uh, the name of the show is Critical Point, and it really just offers signals and analysis for my models, some discussion. I don't have guests on it. It's really just a method of saying, hey, here's my opinion, but here's my model's opinion as well. Am I with it? Do I have something else to offer? And I primarily focus on the three major grains, corn, wheat, soybeans, uh, and the stock market. But there's a very strong secondary forecast of the economy, dollar, gold, Bitcoin, interest rates, especially the interest rates these days, along with inflation. Do get into some climate forecasting where I'm looking for crop risk. So a lot of other things I throw in. Some of those things are free. But when it gets right down to signals and those primary markets where I think I've had a track record that I've built now for 20 years, and I think it's an impressive one. Well, then that's when I ask to be paid for it. And I think it's a very competitive price for something that gives you signals. And um, that's $27.99. And they can find it at criticalpoint.podbean.com. And, uh, and if they ever want to chat with me, I'm at rich uh, underscore Posson uh, on Twitter. So uh, check that out. Yeah, good, good information too that it puts out. So check out all those places. My uh, my feeble mind understands what's going on there, so I'm sure everybody else as well too. So check out Rich's stuff; a lot of great information there. All right, the reason I want to have Rich on here is, you know, we've heard all kinds of inflation talk, right? We've heard you listen to the private sector people talk; inflation is going to engulf everything, and it's going to be the worst day ever. Listen to the Fed; they're like, yeah, but it's not, you know, this inflation thing. There's going to be inflation. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be that bad. And then, you know, the week before that, they were like, I've never even heard of inflation and, you know, we're not really just, no, I don't know what you guys are talking about. So there's been some kind of talking out of both sides of them, of their mouth, when it comes from direction we hear from the fed. So Rich, the, the biggest question that's kind of been kicking around in my mind a little bit, we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but you know, when I look at, at the GDP numbers that, the government's thrown around and these inflationary things that we see popping up and those kind of things. How much of that is a direct correlator back to, all right, so we've had this recessed economy, uh, kind of a, a self, you know, self brought on type recessed economy based on trying to keep everyone closed down and in the COVID thing kind of, kind of, you know, control as much as we can. And, now we're kind of coming out of that. The economy is coming back to life. We're, we're pumping more gasoline out there. We're, all these different things are just people are out moving around, doing a lot more stuff than they had. So wouldn't you naturally have a, a, a pretty big jump in GDP just because of that? And then secondly, wouldn't you naturally see some inflationary things because of that as well? Yes. And yes. <laughs> um what occurs when you go to a recession, prices normally fall. And as soon as that recession's over, if it's a fast recovery, prices will catch up to where they were and then some. Uh, 
And if you calculate it on a percentage basis, you know, comparing to that prior year when it was recession and lower price, you're automatically going to get a high inflation number. And it may not actually feel like it's that high. And it's just how the math flows. It will balance out eventually. It'll, it'll smooth out. And you see the same thing sometimes in GDP. Suddenly, you'll get a massive jump in GDP. And then one of my favorite indicators is the PMI that comes out every month. And you'll see the same thing. It'll crash during a recession. And then it just explodes and looks so incredibly strong for the next few years. And then when the economy's doing really well, the PMI is actually going down. And it's not saying there's a bad economy at all. It's just how the math flows. It's still signaling a strong economy. I think that's what we're seeing now, that with this whole COVID virus recession, we got something far more serious than a normal recession that we get every decade. And we really pumped the money. We really put the brakes on uh, to help support that economy. And it also kept uh, the inflation from just collapsing as well. But the point is, as we come out of that, it helped give us that kickstart, that jump in inflation. And to give you an example, if I can pull up my spreadsheet here, uh, around 1950, inflation pulled back to less than 1%. The economy was not necessarily doing that good. The uh, GDP was backing off. And then in 1951, inflation jumped to 7.89% one year. And it looks like to me, we're kind of doing something similar like that. We're going to get a high inflation number this year. I think that's guaranteed. It's just a question of what is high and how high, those kind of questions. But we're going to see that surge. We've seen it already in just recent reports. It actually upset the stock market a little bit, uh, the day of the report, that is. And then they got over it. But uh, the fascinating thing is that in the 1950s, if you look at from 1951 and on, inflation just calmed down. It dropped from 7.89 to 2.19 the next year, and then was basically back to 1%. For the entire 1950s, it averaged 2.1%. 1960s averaged 2.4%, and you still had a few explosions there uh, coming out of a recession in the 1960s. It wasn't until the 1970s that you see an entire decade average 7.1%. So inflation was just running hot, okay? Because if you think about it, if inflation is going to run like 2.5%, that means your prices are up like 25% or more within a decade. Well, my gosh, you then go to the 1970s and you look at 7% inflation for an entire decade. I mean, prices more than doubled during that decade. And that's the pattern I want people to think about. There's such a thing called the inflation cycle. And the inflation cycle, in my opinion, if we looked at the most recent one, it ran as inflation from 1950s in the 1970s. And then from about 1980 on into literally as of last year, we were in disinflation. That's the other side of that cycle to in order, order to complete the complete the, the circle, right? And so We've gone through that many years of disinflation, which is not necessarily lower and lower prices. It just means prices don't rise as fast as they did during the inflation cycle. But the thing is, inside of the inflation cycle and the inflation phase, you have what's called early inflation, then late inflation. Early inflation is the larger number of years during inflation, and it's generally good. People see their paychecks rising. They look at their stock accounts saying, hey, I'm making a little money there. 
They look over in their savings account saying, hey, my interest rate's rising a little bit. They look at their home saying, wow, that's that's going up as well. And they're rather happy. Over time, however, we kind of mess it all up. Okay, We break the machine. And part of the reason is everybody starts hollering, well, I need a pay raise just because my cost, my, my grocery costs are going up. And so it's not linked to how we really should be doing business in the economy. And we get into late inflation that can lead to runaway inflation, and that's bad. That's what occurred in the 1970s. So my guess is we're just starting this cycle. I don't think we're on a situation here that's leading us into um, late inflation right now. I mean, it just does not make economic sense uh, at this point. So yes, there's a reason people are scared right now of high inflation this year because it's large, it's, it's been fast, but my guess is things are going to calm down during the rest of this decade. We're probably not going as low inflation as what we've seen in recent years, but it's not going to be this runaway inflation. I think that's next decade. It might even wait to the following, but uh, I'm willing to say this time around, the cycle will be a little shorter, so we may see that late inflation next decade where that could get out of hand. But right today, I'm viewing this as rather constructive, but it's different than what we've been used to over the last 20 to 40 years here. Uh, and we're going to have to make some adjustments how we do business. Things are going to cost more, but it's not necessarily a sign of a poor economy. In fact, uh, GDP runs a pretty good, runs a fairly strong positive correlation uh, to inflation. Inflation's higher, then the GDP is going to be higher, but people will say, well, that's a better economy. Well, the problem is the economy can get too good and the GDP can get too high for too long. And now you have an overheating economy. That's when that inflation is now going to start speeding up when it already was moving higher, but it's going to speed up at a faster pace. Now you got a problem. And I don't see that uh, for a while yet. I think the Fed has been thinking yet that you, they use the term transitory inflation in recent months. And that says that they, they think, sure, you're going to get scared. You're going to see an explosion of inflation. It's just going to back off. Now they're saying a little less of that. And the reason is they just want to acknowledge that we're in that phase that's strong. I think if we could speak them privately in their office, they'd say it's going to be transitory. This, this, this will back off and we're going to be all right. All right. So when you look at, you, you talked about, you know, the next decade, you thought there could be some runaway inflation and those kind of things. What is to, uh, what, what are some of the indicators that we should be looking for when we start looking at that, you know, that, that inflationary kind of boom that you're talking about? Um, as far as like getting into a runaway phase or just what we think? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think what you would have to consider is inflation stays three to four, five, six percent for like three or four years straight, consecutive years. Then that's too long. That's too long of a trend. And you're also going to see the bankers or anybody loaning money to anybody is going to be rapidly raising interest rates. But to have a spike in, in inflation this year, we are seeing it, and there's more to come. That is not enough to say you've launched. Um, one of those late inflation kind of trends and got a serious problem. That that's that's for the moment. That is typical coming out of a, re a recession. It's typical of launching a nice economic growth pattern within early inflation. 
Okay, so usually with inflation, we start talking about interest rate costs, and, and any you know in in the agricultural business, most of the guys that that are out buying equipment right now have a very fond memory of what inflation was like in the 1980s. So, uh, and interest rates on top of that. So as we come through this kind of inflationary kind of ramp up coming out of this recession that we're in, what are your thoughts about the Fed raising? the interest rates from zero to, you know, one or two percent? Well, one or two percent does not scare me because that's probably what they need to do and they will do eventually. Um, Problem is, though, depends depends how interest rates affect you, what kind of business you're in. You know, if you're in the banking or investing in debt, you've got, uh, for some reason, you borrowed a bunch of money and never locked it in and it's long-term money. I fully understand not locking in short-term because you think you're going to pay it off in a short period of time. But boy, long term, these are not the days anymore to be gambling to uh, not be locked in. I, I, I got a 20-year mortgage, 20-year mortgage on a home. <laughs> I want to locked in these days. I just don't want to gamble and, and try to figure out how, how do I deal with it if it does go wrong. Um, so the more sensitive you are for interest rates, you could make an argument that I just said, going from zero to one or 2% means nothing to me. <laughs> for some people, they say, what are you talking about? That's a doubling, tripling of my interest cost. And there's no question about it. That's, that's going to shake some people. A 2% is as scary as 8% was, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know. Uh, right. So we do we do have those issues. And, you know, even though I'm trying to put down some Wall Streeters or worried over that, I, I have to be cautious because it can impact some. But to me, going back to 1% or 2%, it's, uh, that's the correct thing to do. I, I think you actually balance things better and, and have a better economy. And, and it was interesting uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who had been the chairperson at the Fed previously, uh, was out uh, this week and even made comments, well, you know, uh, higher interest rates are not necessarily a bad thing. It could even be a good thing. And everybody knows that Yellen is willing, basically willing to allow higher inflation, higher interest rates. And it's fascinating to me because when I came up with this inflation cycle idea and then applied it to my cyclical models in business, and I said, you know what? That cycle is going to turn, and I had pretty much pegged it about the right time to turn. I kept thinking, well, are we really going to see the Fed and Treasury and government talk with that kind of attitude? Because they've been on this thing for 40 years now of lower interest rates. Well, it is interesting the Fed and Treasury are talking like that. And the Fed had been actually talking in the past few years. Treasury had been quiet on that. And now you've got somebody that was in the Fed in the Treasury and are no longer quiet about it. <laughs> so, which is which is also something interesting. We haven't seen the Treasury and Fed uh, actually be able to have such a strong connection. It'll be just interesting what what does come down the line here of what do they want to try in terms of policy. And some people feel like uh, I don't know if I can explain this definition, but they feel like. You have monetary policies, which is really what we've been working on for 40 years now. And then you have fiscal policy. And they claim the fiscal policy is what's going to lead to higher inflation, higher interest rates. But they even say there's periods of time that's not a bad thing. That can be a good thing. And they're also saying, well, fiscal policy was really where we were from World War II on into the 60s. And I thought, wow, you know, maybe I don't have all the academic details here, but you folks just told me what I've been thinking for my own model research in these cycles that it is time to do it. I, I think we've got the people in place that if they don't create it, they're going to allow it. And so uh, bottom line is, yeah, inflation is going higher whether you like it or not. And you got to learn how to deal with it. 
But to panic and say, oh, we've got to, you know, we got to have a political movement to stop all this or something, it's it just does not add up to me. It would have to be something new I haven't seen in 200 years with the history. And uh, I, you know, anything new can happen. It does eventually, but it's it looks like we're doing what we would normally do for this phase of the cycle. And I, I think we're going to have a growing economy. And I think people are going to do well, actually, and the market's going to do well, but we're also going to have a bit higher interest rate cost and a little bit higher inflation. So, Okay, so along with so along this kind of same inflationary theme that we kind of have here right now, you start out the podcast talking about real estate costs and lumber costs and and you know those kind of things and what that looks like and how those things are working together and those kind of things. So, my I've been given this this real estate thing of, of some thought for a while and, and and looking at new housing starts and it kind of seems like new housing starts have kind of fallen off a little bit, but not as much as you think they would with the price of materials the way they are right now. So what's your thoughts on the overall economy when it comes to just what what it costs now to get lumber and and rubber and iron and steel and all these different things to, to go out and just and build, you know, whether it's cars or houses. Talk about that a little bit and how you see that affecting the economy um, over the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, the other thing about our economy is like if you see something swinging in a certain direction, you'll find some people being hurt by it. Some people are actually benefiting. And we've gone through this phase in the past 20, 30, 40 years. And it was clear we were benefiting certain groups of people, certain industries. And now we're just swinging other ways. So some people are actually going to make some money out of this. But there's no question when you look at housing, on the other hand, you know, that's that's extreme. I I can't imagine having to go and, and get a mortgage. And I want to build a home too, but I'm doing my best that I don't have to get a mortgage. And if I've got to tell you, when I look at these costs, I'm struggling. I'm trying to find alternative building materials. And I already planned on building a very small house now that our daughter's moved out and this and that. And I just said, hey, let's experiment with something really small, really modern, have some fun with it and keep our costs low. And wouldn't you know what? I get all set up and ready to do it. And then we get hit with this and my cost for yeah. my little little house are more like what yeah. I had for a large house, you know? And it's like, yeah. uh, that has to come down. I don't see I don't see wages going up enough where people would say, well, yeah, it costs me a lot more, but I can do it. I want it. So we are doing it. Uh, that's going to back off, especially when that lumber breaks through, gets through the supply chain and it will. Um, we'll see it come down. Now, the question is, it went up so fast, I'm thinking, yeah, but the price is probably going to come down slow and we'd really like. It's probably going to take a few years. And since we are embarking on a brand new inflation trend that's more in just a few years, it's a couple of decades more, you could make an argument those prices are never coming back to the worst price we've seen over the last few years. So I, I can't even think what that price was on lumber. I could probably look it up quick enough. But uh, but at the same time, this is just an astronomical price. I mean, I was used to two, three hundred, two to three hundred, four hundred dollar lumber futures, and we've had sixteen hundred dollar lumber futures or something like that. You know, yeah. so it's coming down. It's coming down a huge amount, but I don't think it's coming back to two to three, four hundred this decade, maybe not even next decade. <laughs> so we have changed. This is, a, this is an historical moment, just as I always felt like President Reagan come in and it was a massive change. Well, regardless of what you think of Biden or even what Biden's thinking of what's going on, he, this is some kind of symbolic thing of, of, of a change here. I'm, I'm not really trying to talk politics. I'm, I'm saying this is a change of how we're going to do business 
it is big, but it's not bad, at least not now. And But these high-priced things that are bad, they are going to correct. It's amazing how quickly we can buy supply and, and commodities these days. And that's why I want to caution some commodity people that think, well, these prices got to go up for a very long time because this inflation is here. There was so much money printed. Well, uh, someone over at Bloomberg even had a nice article out. I forget. It's a, it's a different site they use. wasn't their main site. Uh, but it was well done. It showed charts. So basically, you raise prices really high in the grain markets. It's fascinating how quickly you buy large supplies. And so I say, hey, inflation, I say lumber's peaking this year, okay? And I think maybe copper's peak, but copper, I'm not really that negative over the next few years. There's a whole global scenario there where they might not be able to find enough copper fast enough. And the lumber, however... I think I can be down a huge amount by next year, and I'm hoping so because I want to build my house. <laughs> so <laughs> I may, I may yeah. learn I have to build a cave in a hill somewhere, but a sod house yeah. maybe. But but to me, I've made the long term call. It's my second call. I admit to it uh, that it took me a second shot to get it, but I think I got it. And if I'm wrong, well, I'll retool it. But I think we're very close. We'll see lumber back off next year quite a bit. Maybe copper. I also think all these commodities are basically topping out this year. I am bullish into sugar. I own some sugar. I've owned it since last year. Uh, trying to hold on to next year, but I'm looking at some of these other commodities saying, you know what? I think the highest price will be seen this year, and they're coming down. So I think I think the commodity portion of inflation is going to be has will have backed off by next year. Now the key is can it somehow stay up until the start of next year, then come down, or does it start down this year? And I think I think it's starting this year. I think we're about there. We got to get through this whole summer for the grains, obviously, and see how the weather impacted and this and that. But later this year on the next year, I'm quite confident grains are coming down. Uh, cattle could be a bit different. It doesn't have to synchronize. And I don't study the, the livestock as much as I used to. Um, and and I, by the way, I'll tell you a little story. I've had someone that I've worked with for over 10 years now in markets and uh, they're in the hog business, they're in grains, this and that. And uh, even though I don't study the hogs so much, I did a little work for him, uh, custom work. And, and uh, we both agreed. That part of this inflation isn't just all the money printing. It isn't just trying to get out of this recession. It isn't just normal economics and then this super cycle inflation. At least for this year, you've also got the people that are back to work. They don't have to wear the mask. They don't have to stay home. And they want to party, Casey. <laughs> they yeah. want to go. They want to go places. The barbecue grill is gonna go like never before, I think. And the keg and I, I, people are just gonna go, and that's gonna help boost the economy. I think the economies do very well, but it is also gonna keep those prices up there, and it's gonna help keep the inflation up there. But I, again, I think next year's the year that's gonna be the key where we should see things settle down. So let's say this year inflation comes in four, five, six, maybe even as high as seven percent, like it did in nineteen fifty one. I just think next year you'll be back 2 or 3%, which is still stronger than what we've seen in recent years. I mean, boy, the Fed has been frustrated for 10 years now. They can't seem to get inflation over 2% so they can raise interest rates. And uh, so, you know, we've, we've turned a corner. I think the Fed will see that it's now very easy to keep it over 2%. So by no means am I saying everything's getting cheaper in the next few years. Overall, this decade, everything will get more expensive, but... For those of you on the commodity production side, it's fascinating how much production that can buy and you can get squeezed 
when prices, maybe prices don't go to extremely low prices, but they, they're not as high as you'd really like relative to your input cost. And so you're still going to have to play that margin game the next few years, even if prices stay up better than they did in recent years. Um, they may, the profits may not, not be there as much as you would like, you know, uh, yep. because because these costs are here. And uh, but again, I just think this whole, uh, like I said, uh, lumber is the biggest one. <laughs> I don't know how anybody dares bet on the downside of lumber. It's a very illiquid market. You can get burned so fast. But to me, that's the one that ought to come down the, the largest amount of anything out there. And I believe it will. And somehow that's going to trickle all the way down to Lowe's and Home Depot when you go pick up your two by fours to stud out your house. <laughs> we will get a break. We will get a break. But I also don't want to tell people that, hey, no worries, prices are going all the way back to the bottom. I do not see that in, in any of these markets either. So, but yeah, my best scenario is we're going to get a little relief on inflation next, next year. It, this is not a runaway thing where it's just super strong inflation for several years. Right. Okay. So, so another question I've been trying to get my head wrapped around is it's not the same way like you. I was I sold my house I lived in. I got to a rental house, started going down the path of building my house, and all of a sudden our budget was was you know the front door basically at that point. So it was as you take a look at at these houses and and these inflated costs that we're seeing, which you know in some cases you know the typical. Well, it used to cost you three hundred fifty thousand dollars to build. Now, it costs you, you know, six hundred fifty or seven hundred thousand dollars to build. And now we're starting to look at kind of when this all settles down and everything kind of comes back down, and we get back to a more um, reasonable building material cost. What's that do? I mean, are we setting ourselves up for another housing crisis because now their house isn't worth? X because of when it was built. I mean, is that is that something to worry about? Is that something that you think about? I will say no, but I fully understand why some people say, boy, there's a lot of people out there saying, yes, uh, we're in a housing bubble. But the best information I've seen uh, from economists, as well as just housing industry type professionals, uh, this, this is not the bubble we had in the 2000s. It was just way more speculative, way easier money when the rest of the economy really wasn't doing all that well. Well, it was doing okay, but it wasn't a robust thing. And so that was a special situation back in the 2000s for that real estate bubble. And I certainly lived through it. I mean, I watched my home double and triple and nothing flat. And then I said, what am I going to do? Because I really want to live here. And if I live here, it'll probably come all the way back down. And it did. Okay. And I remember a Florida lot right on the Gulf Coast, a relative asked me to take a look at it. And my gosh, we looked at the history and that thing went from like $30,000 to $300,000 and back to $30,000 and she bought it. <laughs> so that was crazy, crazy, crazy times. This time around, you may see locations within the country where these homes back off quite a bit. Old homes, maybe home builders say, okay, I can now build this cheaper for you. But I don't see any massive uh, massive crash there. In fact, I'll tell you that, and this is a tricky part when I'm, and here I am working real estate and reminds me so much of, I think, 1998 when my wife and I bought our first home or something like that. And prices surged just like what we're seeing now. I said, what are we doing? I said, I know, because we got a recession coming in three or four years. Everything's going to fall back. But we had missed out of like five homes in a row trying for them. And I said, boy, if we want one, we just got to get serious, pay up for it, get it done. You know, we did that. And 
our home really didn't come down at all during the recession of the early 2000s. And uh, within, I would say, five to seven years after we bought the home, it was worth more. And that's how I'm looking at this decade is even though this has been a massive surge higher, uh, some of these homes up, you know, 30 percent to 100, 200 percent. I'm guessing later in the decade, we'll see those homes up like maybe 2% a year, 3%, something more gradual, something more normal. Um, So that doesn't mean you're going to see a collapse in prices. I'm not saying you won't find a certain location, that certain home that somebody had to bail on it. But now you're talking a distress situation. You're not talking macroeconomics. You're not talking what's going on for the nation. And as a nation, I... You know, I'm not saying there won't be some that come down quite a bit. Uh, My guess is looking out the end of the decade, most people are going to say, you know what? It wasn't all that bad a thing of paying that high price in 2021. Uh, I just don't know if anybody's really going to lose that bad. Uh, If they do, we'll probably hear is because their town lost some businesses and you got unemployment. It's more of a local issue, you know. Uh, don't know how much I can guarantee that because obviously any home that's up 300 100% right now or anything, that's really getting out of hand. Um, but for some of these homes, like building a new home at 60%, well, it's going to back off some, but over time, they'll edge higher later in the decade. Uh, some of these homes in the $150,000, $300,000 range, uh, again, they can back off some, uh, but I, you might see them back off 10%, but that's no panic thing. And by the end of the decade, they'll probably be worth more. And I must say, looking out the next decade, I think homes over 400,000 probably are going to have a more difficult time to sell just because of the higher mortgage cost. Uh, whereas the people under 400,000 might be better. Now, when I say that 400,000, I'm talking average places around the U.S. Obviously, if if you're in San Francisco, you can't even find a house under a million. So that's a different different ballgame. But um, um, I don't know if I explained that well enough, but I and I don't have enough true details and formulas and it'd be too complicated and too long to explain it. But I, I, I just don't think that uh, it just looks like history is repeating for what I'm doing with this modeling. And yeah, I'm not going to forecast a bursting bubble in, uh, in real estate. And another way of looking at it, even if by somebody's definition that would occur, I can, I'm going to lay a hundred dollar bet down that we will not, uh, you will not see the economy uh, hardly be affected by that. And real estate is, you know, home building, especially is important economy. Um, I just don't see that massive blowout we had in the two thousands, totally different banking system, totally different loaning. Um, we just don't have that kind of risk here. Is the risk of lower prices of a home? Yes, because we know they've re- they've run up too fast. But is there a risk for someone seeing, wow, the, I bought this house, collapsed the next year, ten years later, I'm still underwater. I, I don't I don't see that happening unless it's again just a local issue, and, and that gets tricky in real estate when you're trying to forecast because it is about locality, locality. <laughs> so, right. um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay, so here we are. We're halfway through the year. Um, we're in month six of twelve. Here, we're we're kind of in that that last half of the year where we start seeing some key indicators start popping up. You know, you start looking at from the ag perspective. You know, we've got we got planting done. Harvest is around the corner. We've got South America um, with their second corn crop, which is you know they they uh, dropped the uh, prospected harvest uh down there down um a little bit more again so they're not expecting hardly anything of close to what they thought uh when they first started out so there's some things there 
when you take a look at, you know, um, you know, customer consumers uh, heading into the the holiday season, those kind of things uh, towards the tail end of the year, you got the summer grilling season and, and travel, summer travel, and those kind of things. As you take a look right now, which you kind of you kind of hinted at this a little bit beforehand. Um, there's there's a half of the year here where basically people are just going to get out and go. So what what's your thoughts here from now through the end of the end of 21 going into 22? What are you looking at? What are you seeing? Kind of what are some of your expectations? Yeah, I think uh, I could see how the inputs to inflation are going to top this this summer, and I think they're going to back off. But it, it can delay a bit. It could it could lag a bit. I think relative to the economy, we got higher. GDP numbers coming expectations here. I think we're going to be 4% or higher. And uh, I'm sure some people that have been forecasting 6 to 10, they, they could be disappointed. <laughs> but uh, you give me 4 or higher, I mean, there's nothing to complain about. I mean, we've been stuck with 2 and some percent GDP for several years now. And uh, there, there's more economic growth to come out of this, and it's going to push that, push that GDP higher. Um, probably a little wage increase there. I wonder if the wage increase won't really be next year that can help hold up inflation. So in other words, we drop the commodities next year, but you bring up your labor and the result is inflation doesn't come down as much as you might expect if you were looking at commodities. Um, so inflation, so labor inflation, I can see that could still take a while to get going because people are still coming back to work. It may take them a while before they say, hey, boss, Need a raise, costs are going up, you know, I got to do things. <laughs> so, and and not only that, people will be uncomfortable of, well, that, how the hell is my job doing here? And a lot of people got, are going to be ordered back to work from June on into September. Uh, it's almost every day now, see a corporation saying, yep, uh, we've warned our employees, they, they can't be working from home, they got to get back here. There'll be those kind of shifts. Um, but ultimately, I, I think uh, I think a lot of stuff will continue to fly off the stores here, and the good news is we'll, how, however, help that supply chain. So there's more stuff on the shelves that can help temper how much higher this inflation. That's why I still think we're topping this year, and, and we'll be down some. But the point is, you know, inflation is only one portion of the entire economy. You also have to make things, do things, consume things. You got volume. And I think the volume is is really going to take off in the latter half of this year. I think these warehouses are really going to start moving stuff and we'll get back to normal business. So uh, anybody who's complaining of supply disruptions, I, I think that's going to start going away. And it'll be interesting even on the computer side with all these chips that go into our cars and go into everything else. Uh, I think it was Goldman Sachs come out today and said, you know what, during the latter half of this year, that chip thing is going to get back to normal uh, or near it, something like that. So, uh, yeah, the production is going to come online. The volume is going to come on, online latter half. I think that helps temper the, how much higher this inflation could go, maybe even start bringing it down. Meanwhile, people in the stores are going to say, well, yeah, it's now easier for me to buy whatever I want. And they're going to have the money for it. You know, the, the jobs the jobs are going to be there. Um, I often watch the JOLTS report. And I saw, uh, it's, I think it's always two months behind or something like that. I think it was for April. And it just showed, I think, a record high for the jolts now. I think that report has only been around since the mid-2000s. But that just means, yeah, the jobs jobs are out there. They're being offered, you know. And, yeah, I realize a lot of people don't want to work. But, the, hey, this whole unemployment thing, I think I said last year that I was willing to go along with all this unemployment, help out. 
to about mid this year. And then if we see the economic conditions, then I would actually vote against people who want to keep writing checks and that people just got to get back to work. Okay. We just got to get back. And you know what? I'm seeing those economic conditions. So I'm telling everybody, get back to work. <laughs> so <laughs> help out here and help yourself. <laughs> right. And and I think they're going to do it. So I, I see good times rest of this year other than we'll still, obviously we're going to hear people saying, boy, it still costs quite a bit to go out and eat and this and that. Well, yeah, that's, that's here to stay too, but you know, people are going to do business. They're going to eat. They're going to have a good time. I think. I don't know how to forecast Christmas sales, but I think uh, <laughs> I think we have a decent shot at decent Christmas sales. <laughs> yeah, yep. Well, I think there's this is a, a kind of I'm I'm anxiously waiting to see what happens here, especially when it, whether you're looking at used used cars or used farm equipment or whatever it is, construction equipment, whatever it is, because there's such a, a void of the amount of new machines they're going to get built in the number of used equipment that have been that's been taken off the market that there's that how long is it going to take to rebuild that 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 used inventory of of equipment whether it's farm equipment construction equipment or or uh or used vehicles or something like that to where there's not this this feeding frenzy you know type of of mentality that if i want to get it whatever it is you know i got to go out and get it now and if i can't get a new one i'm going to get that used one over there that's got you know, low miles or low hours or whatever. So I guess as you take a look at that, that, that heavier equipment side and, and those, those more expensive um, things out in the marketplace where these chips have made such an impact on what's going on. What's your thoughts about that, that sector of the economy? As far as like used versus new. Yeah. Like, like right now, like there's the used isn't, there's not a lot of used to anything, right? Campers or mm -hmm. cars or combines, right? Now there's there's uh, but the, but there's not enough new equipment coming off the line to backfill that that used that used appetite. You know, what I'm saying that one yeah. two year old trade cycle type thing. Yep. So, yep. How long yep. is it going to take for that to get to bounce out? You think? Yeah, like I say, I think we're going to make a real good effort on on rebuilding everything here the next six months. But maybe in agriculture and some of the machinery stuff, well, I would gamble by the first quarter of next year, you'll, you'll be back to normal. Gotcha. That makes, that makes sense. I, uh, yeah. I, I, I could see agriculture maybe delaying a little more than, you know, the autos would be under the, uh, maybe have a greater capability of seizing any supply that helps them so they could produce more than some of the agriculture equipment. So I, I'm willing to delay it just a little longer on the agriculture equipment. But um, yeah, towards the end of this year and into early next, I think the kind of, I think basically we'll be saying, Hey, you know what? We're back to where we should be. Yep. I'll tell you what, Rich, it's good stuff. You know, and, and there's, there are some guys out there that are saying that the sky is going to fall. And then there's others out there saying that, yeah, it's going to be a, like you, you know, they're going to say in there temporarily, this is going to be a rough patch, but we're going to, we're going to rebound nicely on the other side. So it's just, uh, 20, 19, 20 and 21 are going to be some years that we look back on and have some very unique conversations about historical things that probably won't ever happen again until the next pandemic, I guess, comes sweeping through the, uh, yeah, through I the, uh, do that thing. So I know, crazy times. 
the other day I just read something where they're still arguing over what really occurred in 2008, 2009 with the financial crisis, what kind of depression it was. And <laughs> I said, gee, guys, you got to move faster than that. So <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, it, it yeah. does, t- does take time. And, and, and that's why we need these discussions. So we're always learning and uh, yep. moving forward. But uh, yeah, no, I, it's like I say, I fully understand some of the talk out there that scares us all, but at the more, you know, I love to study history. I don't view myself as a historian. I might not even pass a story test because I'm always summarizing everything. It's uh, well, that was good. That was bad. That's really what I want yep. from history. And then I look for patterns. Okay. Well, that occurred for that generation where, what was the other generation that occurred? And the way we are right now, yes, inflation is, I would say it's waking up and it's going to be around for a couple of decades where, you know, it's been gone for 40 years, really. And uh, so it's back. But this this is not like the 1970s where we say, oh, my gosh, you know, it's just every year, everything is so expensive. Um, yeah, big surge this year. But I think next year we'll we'll see uh, we'll still see you know let's put it this way we've got seven, let's say we get five seven percent inflation this year all right next year let's say it's two to three ooh big pullback but what's that really saying it's saying prices went up two to three percent more than they on top of the prices this year so prices still went up it's just inflation backed off but the point is at least you calm down and that's that's what I'm trying to tell people get calmed down and especially on the commodity production size. I don't want people thinking, well, Hey, if I got $8 corn this year, I'll have $9 corn next year and I'll have $10 corn the following year. Well, from the 1970s, I'd say, you know what? Maybe you got a chance. You look back 1950s, 1960s. No, you don't, you you don't have a chance because the production is going to be there. And you know, the only way you can create it is you have a crap problem for four years in a row. Well, that's not inflation. That's a crap problem. Totally different scenario. (laughs) So without talking to the crap problems, uh yeah, I, you know my subscribers they're watching me all the time now because uh, I really do think we'll we'll see lower grain prices next year. So the key is, should have you already sold it, or you're going to get an opportunity here in July, or maybe we do have a crop problem, you get another opportunity August September. But the point is, the way I look at it, no matter how high it goes or doesn't go, uh, we'll see some things settle back here next year. Uh, and and I do this work with commodity indexes. The Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, uh, it's a whole basket of commodities. It is a little more leaning towards energy markets, but I am i really believe that index will be back down next year. The good news is, I think looking out this decade and next decade, we're going to have more upswings, those little one-year upswings in commodities, more than we've had in the last 20 years. So there's still some encouragement to get better prices in the future. I'm just saying... You know, don't don't expect these prices to remain this high <laughs> throughout next year, and do keep an eye on your input costs. So, be cautious how you're spending that new uh, uh, found money. <laughs> so. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, Rich, give the folks information one more time about where you're, where they can find your podcast, and also how to get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you. Yeah, so you want to go to criticalpoint.podbean.com. And uh, and you'll find a list of videos and audios there. Most of them, you have to be a subscriber and you click on them and you'll find a buy page. Some of them are free, however, especially if I'm talking long-term stuff, some of the weather, some of the economy stuff. And, uh, and then if you want to chat with me, uh, you can go to Twitter at Rich, 
underscore Possen, P-O-S-S-O-N. Give me a direct message. Follow me uh, on some of my tweets because I also give some free ideas as well as let know, let people know something new just showed up on my site and to take a look at it. And it's more than audio. You will get some videos where you could see some of the stuff I'm talking about. And it really makes a big difference. People say, oh, my gosh, this is how markets work. So come on board. Right on. Well, good stuff as usual, Rich. Thanks for uh, thanks for making time to for us to get connected. I know we've both been playing hit or miss here for the last couple of months trying to get connected when we both had the time to do that. So, thanks for uh, thanks for being on the podcast again, man. All right, thank you. All right. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, any blogs that I've got posted will show up there as well. Go to movingironllc.com for the complete library of the Moving Iron Podcast, all the blog posts I have, and also all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee. That's going to be September 15th through the 17th. So all the information that you need for that will be up in the navigation bar. Just click on Moving Iron Summit. You'll see all the agendas for who's going to be there speaker-wise, how to book rooms, um, you know, all the, all the how to register for the meeting, those kind of things. So make sure you check that out. Also, want to bring everybody's attention to a new podcast that I've that I found a couple friends of mine, Adam Verner and Greg Zerlini, uh, both uh, guys that I know uh, down in uh, Georgia, and uh, they've got a dealership down there. And basically, it's called Agish, and it's a great a great podcast. They had me as a guest on there, and uh, I highly encourage everybody to go check that out. It's kind of what's going on from their point of view and uh, kind of what they see happening in the marketplace. So it's well worth your time. Give it a good listen. Again, go to go to Agish. that's out there on iTunes and about anywhere else you can find it. They got a Facebook page as well. So check that out there at Agish or go to Agish.com and you're going to get a, a great uh, great listen there. Guys, it's a, it's a pretty uplifting, fun, fun-paced uh, podcast about what's going on in the ag marketplace. So you can check that out do that as well. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Rich Pawson. Let's give me some iron folks out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales parts or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century Hardworking people working hard for you and me Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving